So we are almost in the last portion of the section where we find Sri Ramakrishna is having conversation with Vidya Sagar. And in the last portion, there is not much to discuss. We will go through that section. We will read that section. And today itself, uh, we will uh, start the new chapter, the next chapter. Uh, we will start after we complete this section. So. Let's go to the conversation of Master with Ishwachandra Vidyashali. Everybody was delighted with the Master's conversation. Again, addressing Vidyasagar, he said with a smile, please visit the temple garden sometime. I mean the garden of Rashmani. It's a charming place. Vidyasagar, oh, of course, I shall go. You have so kindly come here to see me, and shall I not return your visit? Master, visit me? Oh, never think of such a thing. So that's the thing which we find very interesting, that it is not to visit him. It's to visit the temple, Kali temple, which Sri Ramakrishna is requesting. So visit me, or oh, never think of such a thing. Vidyasagar, why, sir? Why do you say that? May I ask you to explain? Master smiling. You see, we are like small fishing boats. All smile. We can ply in small canals and shallow waters and also in big rivers. But you are a ship. You may run aground on the way. All laugh. So we see that how witty Sri Ramakrishna was. Vidyasagar remained silent. Sri Ramakrishna said with a laugh, but even a sheep can go there at this season. Vidyasagar smiling. Yes, this is the monsoon season. All laugh. Aim said to himself, this is indeed the monsoon season of newly awakened love. At such times, one doesn't care for prestige or formalities. Just as in the Bhagavad Gita, we find that wonderful sloka, almost the same idea we find is reflected in this conversation. In the 46th sloka, the second chapter of Bhagavad Gita, what we studied, Yavanartha Udapani Sarvata Sankplutodake Tavan Sarveshu Vedeshu Brahmanasya Vijanatha. So to the enlightened Brahmin, all the Vedas are much 
are not of much use, just as a pond when there is everywhere a flood. So though the idea is here that when there is a flood, all the small water bodies, they get over flooded with the flood water. So they don't, they lose their identity as if. Similarly, all our ego boundaries, which distinguishes us as per the status, as per the position in the society's concern. It's mainly the ego boundaries which differentiate us as per our various distinctions. They all fall off when the flood of devotion, when the flood of devotion ensues in our life. That's why you will find in all the religious places, there is no such distinction. Few days back, I visited a, the Gurudwara. How nice that all will be sitting in the floor. So they will have to squat in the floor. Now there are few elderly persons for whom it is very difficult to squat on the floor. Just to ensure that all are in the same level, I found a wonderful thing that on the back side, the chairs are kept for those person, but those chairs, to keep those chairs, they have lowered the flow there. The floor has been lowered so that the chair, when you sit on the chair, it's on the same level as all are sitting. The idea is that when you come to a religious place, there all the distinctions should fall off. The devotion in the devotion, all the distinction vanishes. The, distinct, the devotion is like a flood which overwhelms all the boundaries of the small ponds and water bodies. Our individual identity falls off. It devotion floods all such distinctions. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, bhakter kono jati nahi. Is in one place he is saying, Ak prakare jati pratha pare. There's only one way by which all the distinctions can be obliterated. What's that? That's bhakti. And then he's saying, bhakti bhaktir kono jatni. We will find in the life of Holy Mother, in those days, the caste distinctions did matter. The society was not yet above the caste distinctions, caste rules. But mother wanted that all the devotees should have, should share the meal, should have food together. So one day we find there is an incidence in the life of Holy Mother. She, in one big plate, she placed the puffed rice. Uh, she placed the puffed rice and she told that puffed rice never gets defiled. You can share from the single plate all all can sit around the plate and can share from it. As mother instructed that way, all the devotees enjoyed. They all sat together and they all enjoyed that puffed rice from the same plate. The idea is again the same, that once you have the devotion, all the distinctions are bound to fall off. All of the children of God, how can there be distinction between one and the other when all are same in the eyes of the Lord? For the mother, all the children are same. So that's the idea when Sri Ramakrishna is saying that yes, it is a monsoon season. So even a ship can go there. Means the one who is of high standing, for him also there is no such restrictions of 
there is no such uh, barricade of prestige and formalities. So how nicely, even in the simple words, Sri Ramakrishna is indicating that through devotion, all the distinctions falls off. So Aim said to himself, this is indeed the monsoon season of newly awakened love. At such times, one doesn't care for prestige or formalities. Sri Ramakrishna then took leave of Vidyasagar, who with his friends escorted the master to the main gate, leading the way with a lighted candle in his hand. Before leaving the room, the master prayed for the family's welfare, going into an ecstatic mood as he did so. As soon as the master and the devotees reached the gate, they saw an unexpected sight and stood still. In front of them was a bearded gentleman of fair complexion, aged about 36. He wore his clothes like a Bengali, but on his head was a white turban tied after the fashion of the Sikhs. No sooner did he see the master than he fell prostrate before him, turban and all. When he stood up, the master said, Who is this? Balaram. Why so late in the evening? Balaram, I have been waiting here a long time, sir. Master, why didn't you come in? Balaram, all were listening to you. I didn't like to disturb you. The master got into the carriage with his companions, Vidyasagar to M softly. Shall I pay the carriage hire? M. Oh, don't bother, please. It is taken care of. Vidyasagar and his friends bowed to Sri Ramakrishna and the carriage started for Dakshineshwar. But the little group with the venerable Vidyasagar at their head holding the lighted candle stood at the gate and gazed after the master until he was out of sight. So that's the wonderful chapter which ends with this description. So now today we will enter into the next chapter. We will the next chapter is advice to householders. So the date is August 13, 1882. The master was conversing with Kedar and some other devotees in his room in the temple garden. Kedar was a government official and had spent several years at Dhaka in East Bengal, where he had become a friend of Vijay Goswami. The two would spend a great part of their time together talking about Sri Ramakrishna and his spiritual experiences. Kedar had once been a member of the Brahma Samaj. He followed the path of bhakti. Spiritual talk always brought tears to his eyes. It was five o'clock in the afternoon. Kedar was very happy that day, having arranged a religious festival for Sri Ramakrishna. A singer had been hired by Ram and the whole day passed in joy. The master explained to the devotees the secret of communion with God. Master, with the realization of Satchidananda, one goes into Samadhi, then duties drop away. So the realization of Satchidananda, one goes into Samadhi. So Samadhi indicates the realization of Satchidananda. What's the idea? That the moment that through our spiritual practice, when I am deeply contemplating, what's the contemplation? That 
I am the Satchidananda. I am Brahman. So here we will find, though I am saying I am Brahman, but what is happening? I'm saying that I am not the mind, I'm not the senses, I'm not the body, not the mind, not the senses. But who is saying? It is the mind who is saying. So what is Samadhi? It is going beyond the mind. At last, this idea that I am not the body, not the mind, not the senses, this acts, this thought is in the scripture, they call it Brahmakara Vritti. When all the vrittis having subdued by this one vritti, Brahmakara, Brahmakara Vritti, it is still a vritti. This vritti subdues all other vrittis. At last, it itself also obliterates. As Shankaracharya very nicely has given the example that the way the camphor purifies the water, a turgid water to purify it in the olden days, they used to put a camphor in it. And the water will get purified by the camphor. And at last, the camphor itself also is not visible. It gets totally dissolved. So that Brahmakara Vritti, that Aham Brahmasmi, or even the thought of the divine. As a devotee, when you're thinking of God, so this Ishta Vritti or Brahmakara Vritti, it's like a camphor. It first cleans cleanses the impurities of the mind, at last it also falls off. And then that's the state when you go into samadhi, you go beyond mind. And then only that real realization happens. As that example which we give always, that the mind is like a prism and the Brahman, the ultimate reality is like the white light. As long as the prism is placed in the vicinity of the white light, it breaks into the spectrum. The spectrum of this world of name and form. When this prism is removed, the spectrum merges with the white light. So similarly, when one goes into Samadhi, then the spectrum of this world of name and form vanishes. It merges with the Satchidananda, with your real nature. And that's what is being indicated as a realization of Satchidananda. As we have indicated again and again, Satchidananda is not the attribute of the absolute reality. The absolute reality is beyond all attributes. Then why, when we say Satchidananda, as if the three attributes is imposed, is adhered on that ultimate reality. Actually, it is not so. These three words, these three terms actually indicates the negation of all the limitations which we impose on our real nature. When I say Sat, it negates the idea that I am a limited being, which was born at certain point of time, which is going to die at certain point of time. And as long as I am living, I go through six types of changes, Shadavikara, Jayate, Asti, Vardhate, Viparinamate, Apakshiyate, Nasti. I was born, I exist for a certain period of time, I first grow, Vardhate, then transformation comes in the middle age, then the decay process starts, ultimately leading to death. So that's the idea of my existence. The scripture by saying that the ultimate reality which, with which you are identified is Satsvaru, it negates the idea of limitation. So it's not a 
uh, attribute which is adhered to that ultimate reality. It is beyond all attributes. By Sat, you're negating the idea of limited existence. By Chit, when I negate that idea of limited existence, then again the idea may come that yes, the ultimate reality is inert, the matter conglomerated to create consciousness. That's what the shallow science, the superficial science speaks of. I'm saying superficial science because there are branches of sciences, even in the quantum mechanics, the quantum physics, the idea is there unless there is a witness there cannot be any such so-called this consensus reality, the reality with which we deal with the world that cannot exist unless someone is witnessing it. In the words of the, this quantum physics, it's said that the moment you witness, the probability collapses into reality. So the witness comes into picture uh, if we really have to have the idea of this phenomenal existence, it has to be brought into the picture as the foundation. So that's why I'm saying it is superficial science because there are branches of science which has already started thinking of consciousness in some way or other as the substratum, as the fundamental principle behind the, behind the entire existence. So here the scripture says that the idea that the ultimate reality, which is eternal, it is not just matter and energy. It is something conscious. It is not inert. It is chitsvarupa. And then again, the idea comes that if it is sat, if it is chit, then most probably it is going through the dualities of joys and sorrows through eternity. Sometimes it is happy and then it is dejected as we feel in our life most probably that's the state we are going through eternally. To deny that duality of our existence as joys and sorrows, as pleasure and suffering. This Ananda Swarupata has been spoken of, that it is in eternal bliss because it has no want. It alone exists by its own right through eternity. So what all we said, these are all again just intellectual concepts. This is the thing with which one merges when one goes beyond the mind in deep samadhi to, be, to really get established with that non-dual reality, to come back again from that state to relate. And when, again, when you're trying to relate something which cannot be related, it has to be limited by the words. It can never speak of what it is actually. And that's the best a way to speak of it is Satchidananda. So that ultimate reality, reality Satchidananda, can be realized only when one goes into Samadhi, one goes beyond the mind. Mind is nothing but Chitta Vrittis. That's why the Yoga Sutra starts with that idea. Chitta Vritti Nirodha is the goal of Yoga. Yoga is Chitta Vritti Nirodha. Once the Vrittis fall off, the mind is no more there. Because as long as the vrittis are there, the mind is there. As you may all remember, we again and again we discussed that the word vritti means occupation, profession. Then why for the thought waves we use the word vritti? Just as my occupation, my profession sustains me. Everyone's profession sustains them. Similarly, the chitta is sustained by the thought waves. Once they can be 
subdued. They can be totally annihilated. The mind doesn't remain. So that's the same idea. Once the chitta vritti is being subdued, you go beyond the mind. That leads to that samadhi, and then the realization. It's no more just mere words. It's realization. Even the one who is deeply absorbed in the meditation, aham brahmasmi, it's just mere words. It's not the realization. That concentration has to take him beyond the mind. At last, the final mental module. That this this mental module of concentration. This brahmakara uh, vritti. That also falls off, taking you to the realization. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. With the realization of Satchidananda, one goes into Samadhi. Then duties drop away. So these are the ideas of Vedanta in so simple words. It's been spoken of. How the duties fall off? Now when one merges with the Absolute, he may again come back, but the duties has fallen off. Why? That the entire, it is because of ignorance, the asmita comes into picture. That I am this body-mind complex. This comes into picture because of the ignorance. The conscious principle got reflected in the body-mind complex and seeing the reflection, I get identified with the reflection to think I am this. The one who is behind that is the eternal conscious principle. He is always saying that I am eternal and that ego is heard from the body-mind complex. And as I get identified with the body-mind complex, I think the body is saying, the mind is saying I am eternal. And we try to realize that eternity in the body, in the mind. So from asmita, what happens? But it is not possible. Now, I know that a little change in the external conditions can annihilate, can destroy my body. So that's why the things which sustains it, I have raga attachment for it. The things which are harmful for it, I hate them. The things which can overpower me, I don't have the power to get rid of it. I myself will be running away from it. I always try to run away from death, the abhinivation. All the duties are nothing. At last, they can, you'll find that the motivation behind all the duties is this ragadvesha abhinivesha. It has formed a very complex network as we have evolved from a single cellular organism to the human being. But as a human being, if we really try to find out, analyze our sense of duty, at last we will find it ends up in these three afflictions, Raga, Dvesha, Vinivesha, which again, puts the source of these three afflictions is Asmita, the sense of ego. And that has resulted from Agyana. And Agyana falls off when you realize your Satchidananda. So with the realization of the Satchidananda, the localized consciousness, your identification with the localized condition, uh, localized consciousness, the ego, that falls off. Naturally, the Raga, Dvesha, Avinivesha is attenuated and the sense of duty starts falling off. When I know that nothing is going to destroy me, I am there through eternity. What can be the duty? There cannot be any duty. So that's why that when that realization happens, then alone the duties drop away. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. Suppose I have been talking about the Ustad, the one who came for 
performing that uh, um, this instrumental music. Sri Ramakrishna appreciated that just we heard that. So the, the one who was the, the, the one who came to play the instrument, he's the ustad, the, the skilled one. So suppose I have been talking about the ustad and he arrives. What need is there of talking about him then? How long does the bee buzz around? So long as it isn't sitting on a flower. So this entire scriptures comes in these simple words that once you go to that realization, all your discussion, all our discussion about the ultimate nature, that becomes something uh, meaningless. It, it loses its value. Why once you go to the realization, there that gives you the ultimate knowledge. Realization alone is knowledge. Just a mere concept can never be knowledge unless that concept leads to realization. The example which we give again and again, that unless I have tasted mango, if someone explains me the taste of mango, that it is sweet, it has a nice flavor, what we will do, those who have not tested the mango, we will try to relate those words with our available fund of experience. And there will be various opinions. Some will say mango is as sweet as molasses and it has a flavor of jasmine because he's just trying to relate his fund of experience with the words. He has not tested the mango. Someone will say, no, it is as sweet as honey. It has a smell of rose. Now you see that varied opinions are there. So there's a question of when varied opinions are there, then only the discussion comes into picture. That's why we find that unless your concentration, your contemplation leads to samadhi, it is sa-vitarka. That is also samadhi. Any concentration is samadhi, but it is sa-vitarka. In Yoga Sutra, we studied. Sa-vitarka means it is along with argumentation. Vitarka. Why? Because how nice. Let us just relate to the Yoga Sutra also. This Because in Sri Ram, when we read the gospel, if you have the scriptures in background, the script, these words, his words becomes really very profound. That Sir Vitarka, the, the definition was that Shabda Artha Jnana, when there is no uh, synthesis, no synchronization of Shabda Artha Jnana. You will understand. Shabda, when I say mango is sweet, that is a Shabda. Artha, Artha means the real taste. That real taste, real flavor is the artha. And jnana is what? When I hear those words, the idea, the concept which immediately emanates in my mind. So they will find that there is no as such a relation between the three. That the idea which comes out is something based on my imagination. When I hear the word, the actual taste is something different. When this uh, uh, disharmony among the Shapta Artha Gyano falls off. When it happens, only when you have tested the mango. Now your Gyana will be just at par with the Artha. Now you know that what the real test is. And when the Artha and the Gyana become same, there cannot be any argumentation. 
I had known that what that word actually means, what he told is correct. I never understood it because I have not realized it. The moment I realize there cannot be any argumentation. I know the test and uh, all the ideas which I had before testing it, they become something irrelevant. There is no re relevance of it. It's all, all mental conceptualization. So that's why all the noise, the discussion falls off when you go to that realization. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying, that before the Ustad comes, there can be a lot of discussion. That, oh, I have heard the Ustad in some other program. He's a very nice musician. And all sorts of discussion, discussions can go on before the Ustad comes. The moment the Ustad comes, the skilled musician comes and starts playing and all gets focused to his music, all the discussion falls off. So with the contemplation, it takes to the realization. Now that how skillful he is in playing the musical instrument, there is no need to discuss, you're hearing it. You're, so there is the, no question of discussion that he is a great player or he's not that great. All those words have no meaning, all get absorbed in his music. So similarly, when the realization happens, all the discussion falls off. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating that as long as one has not tested the mango, there can be the various opinion about the test of mango resulting in discussion with realization, all such discussion just obliterates, it stops. Sri Ramakrishna continues, but it will not do for the sadhaka to renounce duties. He should perform his duties such as worship, japa, meditation, prayer, and pilgrimage. So that's the thing. Again, that Sri Ramakrishna told that all after realization, the duties fall off. But I cannot imitate that person for whom the duties has fallen off by renouncing the duties. For me, I cannot renounce the duties. I have to perform them. That as we were saying, that it is the Ishta Vritti or the Brahmakara Vritti that takes to the realization. And that Ishta Vritti has to be cultivated through japa, meditation, prayer, pilgrimage, to make the mind focused. I need all those things. It's only when I go to the realization, they won't be required. But before that, they are needed. As Sri Ramakrishna uh, used to say that in the hot, sultry weather, when you feel very hot, very uh, extremely warm and sultry, what do we do? We use a hand fan to cool ourselves. And suddenly when the cool breeze starts blowing, there's no need for the hat fan. It Simply I drop it because the cool breeze has started blowing. So this cool breeze speaks of the realization. The hand fan speaks of all the duties in the form of all the sadhanas as japa, meditation, prayer, and pilgrimage. They are needed. I cannot renounce them till I go to the realization. Once I go to the realization, once I attain the realization, they automatically fall off. As seeing Sri Ramakrishna, many used to ask that when will you do Sandhya? When will you sit for meditation? It's the time for evening, uh, this uh, meditation, evening Japa. So they never realized that for Sri Ramakrishna, all those duties has fallen off because he is a realized soul. As Gautam Buddha used to say that one never carries the raft on his shoulder after having crossed the river. 
So all these japa, meditation, prayer, pilgrimage are like the raft, which we have to use till we have crossed the river of this phenomenal existence, this samsara, this river of this worldly existence. Once we have crossed the vehicle with, which helped us to cross, the raft which has helped us to cross, yes, there's no more required. I won't carry it in my shoulder after I crossed it. So they're not required then. So that's why Sri Ramakrishna, after speaking that there is no duty for the one who has went to the realization, immediately warns us that don't think that, that as the one who has realized, the one who is realized at highest state, that I can just imitate him. It is only after realization the duties will fall off automatically. Just the way the scab on the wound, once the wound is healed, falls off automatically. You cannot force it out. So this, you cannot forcefully renounce the duties. It has to go on till the realization, till you attain that realization. So, but it will not do for the sadhaka to renounce duties. He should perform his duties such as worship, japa, meditation, prayer, and pilgrimage. If you see someone engaged in reasoning, even after he has realized God, you may liken him to a bee, which also buzzes a little, even while sipping honey from a flower. So, that the, when you go to the realization, one becomes silent. But there, as he's saying here, that there are, a, there are few bees which continues buzzing even while it is sipping the honey. What he's saying, there are a few souls who are really highly elevated, who has that compassion for the humankind that even after realization, just out of sheer compassion, there is no other reason, no selfish reason. Just out of sheer compassion, he comes down to relate to the world that there is another dimension of existence beyond this world of name and form, beyond this world of sunset pleasures. So he's went to the realization, he has tasted the honey, but still he buzzes because it is out of unconditional love for the humanity. As the story of Sri Ramakrishna of the three friends, which we so many times repeat, that there were three friends were walking down the street. And one, uh, what is it that there's, they saw a huge wall and they were curious to know what's there beyond the wall. On the side of the road, there was a very huge wall, tall wall. So they managed to get a ladder and they placed the ladder on the wall and one climbed up. And before relating, even before relating what he saw, he was so ecstatic, he jumped to the other side. The second also, second person also, the second friend also climbed up. He also made the same end. He also jumped without relating. The third one, the third person got up. He also felt like jumping to the other side. He was so ecstatic. But he, controlled himself. He thought that if I jump, who will there, who will be there to relate that there is a mirth of joy that is beyond this phenomenal existence. 
who will relate? So he somehow controls himself and comes down just out of sheer compassion. There is no selfish need for him. So as Shankaracharya says that they are like the spring season. The spring season doesn't do anything good to the world consciously. It's its nature. When the spring season comes, we find that again, the trees have become green, the flowers bloom, the fruits, uh, gets lad the trees get laden with the fruits. Just by this coming of the spring, the entire nature changes, it gets transformed. So similarly, this realized soul who out of compassion, when they come, they don't have to plan that how I should try to help the world. Just their existence in this world, like the spring season, unconsciously does good to the world. In Vivek Churamani, that's the example Shankaracharya is giving. So, so they, when they come down to the world, as they have went to the realization, that's their now natural state of existence. So they come down to our phenomenal existence to relate his experience, but he cannot stay there. Again, he has to go back to his realization again and again. So that's the thing which speaks of that it, they're sipping the honey as well as uh, conversing, that buzzing. The buzzing goes on along with the sipping. Sri Ramakrishna in some other place in the gospel speaks of bachkhala. The fish, some of the fish will be sporting in the river. How? When the river is flowing, but they like to sport. How? From one shore, one bank of the river, they will swim to the other bank as if trying to uh, go against the current because the current is flowing down the river and they want to go from one bank to the other. And again, they will return. So this swimming from one bank to the other, from the bank of this phenomenal existence to the nominal existence, that is the Bajkhala. So the one who has realized, but out of compassion, they go on sporting this way. Again, in the Yoga Sutra, from the Yoga Sutra, the idea that uh, we can relate to this, that what is this buzzing as well as the sipping the honey? Now there are three states of mind, Sarvarthata, Ekagrata, and the Nirodha state. Sarvarthata, the mind which is distracted, the monkey mind, with lot of practice, by trying to keep my mind in the Ishtavritti, I can develop Ekagrata. But as my subconscious mind is still full of that Sarvarthata, this restlessness, I cannot stay in that ekagra state for long. Again, it brings me down. But for the realized soul, it's just the opposite. Ekagrata has taken him to the Nirodha state where the mind has got arrested. But out of compassion, he comes down again to the state of this ekagrata. He cannot come down to the state of Sarvarthata, just to the state of Ishtavritti. He remains in that God consciousness to instruct the world. That's why in the life of Ramakrishna himself, you will find that when he used to go in Samadhi, he used to instruct his close associates to take the name of certain, the, the name of the Lord, this Krishna, Kali, whatever it may be. And that used to bring him down from that state of Samadhi. Very interesting. For us, we use the name of the Lord 
to concentrate our mind. And he is using to bringing it down so that the sipping of the honey and the buzzing both can go together. So that's the thing Sri Ramakrishna is saying. If you see someone engaged in reasoning, even after he has realized God, you may liken him to a bee. Why he's reasoning? He has realized. Previously, we mentioned that reasoning happens when there is no realization. But reasoning can also happen when one is realized and the one to whom he is conversing is not realized. He is convinced of what he is saying. But the other person, as he is not realized, he never understands it properly. So he has to go on instructing him in such a way that gradually the gap of understanding falls off, obliterates. He has some inkling of what has been told. That's the idea of sravana, manana, nididhyasana. That for the manana, that the guru, what he's saying, I have to reflect on it. And for that, the conversation has to go on. Though the guru is a realized soul, but as the one, the shishya is not realized. So there has to be that conversation. And that happens only out of compassion. He has came, he's trying his best to relate the, his, this, his experience to his devotee so that they also get motivated to go to that realization. So the buzzing has to go on, though he is sipping the honey. So if someone engaged in reasoning, even after he has realized God, you may liken him to a bee, which also buzzes a little, even while sipping honey from a flower. The master was highly pleased with the ustad's music. He said to the musician, there is a special manifestation of God's power in a man who has any outstanding gift, such as proficiency in music. So here again, we will find what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. And the entire chapter of Bhagavad Gita is dedicated to that. It is the Vibhuti Yoga, the 10th chapter, where after God saying that I am specially manifested in all the things which are of this superlative degree, all the best things, all the essence of the things in that I am specially manifested, my vibhuti, my greatness can be seen in all those things. And we find his concluding that idea in the 41st sloka of the 10th chapter. What's that? Yet, yet, vibhuti mat satyam, srimat urjitam evava, tat tat eva avagachatvam mama teja angsha sambhavam. That whatever you see as great, prosperous, prosperous, or powerful, know it to have manifested from but a spark of my splendor. As Sri Ramakrishna in some other place has told that he is existing in essence, he is exist, he's, he's pervading the entire creation. The ultimate reality alone is pervading. It's not like that when I mix sugar in the water, the sugar pervades the water. I, mean, I shouldn't understand pervading in that sense. What's the pervade? The, when I say that the ultimate reality is pervading the creation, what it actually means? When a rope is lying on the ground in the twilight hours because of insufficient light, I see it as a snake. Just the way the snake 
which I am seeing because of illusion, because of ignorance, actually is nothing but pervaded by the rope. You remove the rope, the snake vanishes. It is not like that there is something called snake where the rope also has entered like sugar in water. No, nothing like that. It is actually the rope, a rope and rope alone, which is appearing a snake. So when I say the snake is pervaded by the rope, means it is superimposed. So similarly, the Lord is superimposing the entire creation. He alone is there. Because of ignorance, he is appearing as this world of name and form. But after saying that Sri Ramakrishna, after saying that in Vibhurupe Sarvatra Virajito, Keval Shoktir Tartam, there is a manifestation in degrees, not in kind. In the words of Swami Vivekananda, whatever I see, there is the difference only in degree, that how much it is manifested in degrees, not in kind. It's the same conscious principle, which is finding expression everywhere. It is the same conscious principle, which is in plant, which is an animal, which is in human being. But in human being, it is more manifested. So his vibhuti is more manifested as a human being. So though you, he is everywhere, but his special manifestation is on all the superlative degrees which we see in this world. Whether one who is prosperous, one who is a good singer, or even one is very handsome, beautiful, know it for certain, God's special power is manifested. Why? That it is he who is expressing himself in a, uh, with all the, all the things which obscure his manifestation that in certain aspect has obliterated. It's not all the aspects, certain there are various aspects of ignorance. Certain aspects has fallen off to manifest a particular uh, power, a, a particular uh, attribute. He's beyond attribute. When, when the ignorance falls off, he finds expression in a particular form. And that's the thing it is indicated as the special power of God. Just again, that common example let us give. When the light falls on the prism, then only the question of spectrum comes. And I can say that the violet is an intense light. Red is of very low vibration. This question of ultraviolet, infrared, all comes when the light has fallen on the prism and has broken into the spectrum. Then there's a manifestation. Something is manifesting, manifesting as violet, something as red. Something is beyond violet, something is below red. So similarly, when the ultimate reality, the conscious principle finds expression through the cosmic mind, then all this, the manifestation, varied manifestation comes into being. And then only I can say that he is manifesting more through this type of spectrum and he's manifesting himself through less through some other spectrum. In a bacteria, he is there, but its manifestation is something very, very minimal. The plants, it may be a bit more, but in the human, he's manifested. That as Swami Vivekananda used to say, that, that God, we can worship all the beings as temples of God because the Lord is there in each and every being. But human being is the Taj Mahal of all temples. Means through him, God can be realized 
Yeah, he manifests most through the human being. So that's why Sri Ramakrishna here also is indicating that there's a special manifestation of God's power in a man who has any outstanding gift, such as proficiency in music. So whenever you have a proficiency, it speaks of what? That your mind has developed the capacity to enter into a flow, a focus, you have developed the skill. So what it speaks of, the distractions have fallen off. The mind is more focused. The more the uh, mind is uh, focused, the mind is calm, the more the consciousness behind, behind it is manifested. So there's a special manifestation of God's power in a man who has any outstanding gift, such as proficiency in music. So whatever you see as great, prosperous, or powerful, as in the Gita it has been mentioned, know it to spring from the spark of my splendor. The musician, sir, what is the way to realize God? Master, bhakti is the one essential thing to be sure God exists in all beings. Who then is a devotee? This again, this, these words, we should all uh, memorize as sutras. Wonderful thing that God exists in all beings, but who is a devotee? He, who, he whose mind dwells in God. Tini sharvotra virajit. In the Bengali, that he is in everything. But who is a devotee? One who is in him. That God is in everything, but we are not in God. The one who is in God, the one whose mind dwells in God, he is a devotee. How wonderful words. God exists in all beings. Who then is a devotee? He whose mind dwells in God. But this is not possible as long as one has egotism and vanity. The water of God's grace cannot collect on the high mound of egotism. It runs down. I'm a mere machine. So, for the mind to dwell in God, ego must vanish. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. So the moment the ego vanishes, what is happening? We find that in some other place of gospel, when someone asked that, when shall I be free? Ramakrishna's reply is, when I cease to be. It is the I that as we started the discussion with that, that I speaks of local consciousness. That the thing which is non-local got reflected in the body-mind complex and seeing that reflection, that reflection is a local thing. The thing which is being reflected is non-local. Seeing that locality now that's, uh, I, tr I just identify myself with that reflection. And that's the cause of all the bondage. So here, when he's saying that as long as the egotism is there, one cannot realize God. So it has to go to that. that really it has to go beyond the ego to realize God. That's why, you know, this, there are some, some very simple sentences Sometimes we just read it without realizing how profound the sentences are. You will find some similarity what Sri Ramakrishna is saying with Swami Vivekananda's word. As we told, Swami Vivekananda's words are nothing but the commentary of the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. 
very nicely Swamiji has defined God. That we will find that the definition of God varies so much as per the denominations are concerned. Even within the Hindu religion, the way the Dvaitins, the Vishishta Dvaitins, the Advaitins will define God is different. But what Swami Vivekananda is saying is something universal. No one can deny. Just a simple sentence. Unselfishness is God. What a wonderful sentence. Can anyone deny that? Even an atheist cannot deny that. That after all the highest idea is obliteration of the ego. The selfishness has to fall off. The locality has to vanish. The more the consciousness relates to its non-locality. It is already non-local. So because of ignorance, it thinks it is this body-mind complex. The more the ego boundary falls off, the more and more we are becoming identified with God. So this is the basic thing in spiritual evolution, whatever may be the religion, whatever may be your definition of God. The ego has to fall off and that leads to the realization of God. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying here, that it is that non-local consciousness is God. As Swamiji has said that unselfishness is God. The ego obliterates when one becomes aware that he's not the doer. That's what, that I'm a mere machine. How to obliterate the ego? When you know that it is you who are not the doer. It is the Lord who is working through all of us. When that, as we told, as we relate again and again, in our scriptures, the ultimate reality is spoken of as Om. That Om finds expression as Shakti. Brahma Shakti Abhed. The when it finds expression as Shakti, the nomanan has become the phenomenon. The same Brahman appears as Shakti and that Shakti is not chaotic. It finds expression as laws, the physical laws, the moral laws, all the laws that speaks of rhythm behind the creation. It's not chaotic. So that is the rhythm. Rhythm is the Satyam in the phenomenal existence. The real, the ultimate Satyam is Om. But that when finds expression in this universe, it finds expression as rhythm. And that's the rhythm which defines the, all the physical laws as well as the laws with which I am bound. That all the vidhis and nishedes of the scriptures, the do's and don'ts, the commandments, behind everything you will find there is only one principle. What's that principle? The principle of unselfishness. Anything that leads to unselfishness, I give others the priority. That becomes the law. When you when I still remember that one uh, of my known person, act person uh, was uh, again every year he used to lose his points because of this uh, very rough driving, hectic driving. So at last he got a letter. The letter was very interesting. That that speaks of the law. What is the basis of the law? That you have become a nuisance for the others. You have become a nuisance for the others. That why all those laws are meant? In the traffic, the speed limit, everything. So that we, do, we don't become the nuisance for others. So wherever there is a law, it actually speaks of the governing principle 
behind that, where God has created this creation in such a way, he has implanted that altruism in us. Otherwise, the existence won't be there. If all are selfish, purely selfish, that we cannot think of the creation. It, it, the creation will collapse just in a moment. So that's the thing which is in our heart that he has implanted in the form of altruism, compassion, love, the same thing which we find as gravitation, as a physical law, as magnetism, which is universal in the being, in the living beings. The love, compassion, altruism is something you will find in all the creatures. You go to the National Geographic and see the videos, you'll find that this uh, love, altruism, compassion is in all the, not only in human being. It is something which is biologically implanted in us. It's the law. And based on that, we are, uh, uh, what you say that we are uh, taking care of our responsibilities. We are uh, doing our duties, taking care of responsibilities based on that basic law of altruism. All the laws, principles are based on that. So though we have an impression that it is I who am doing, but actually it is the love, the compassion, the altruism, which has been implanted in me, that is making me do all the things. When that love gets misdirected as self-love, that results in all the crimes. But that again, it is the same love which has got misdirected, but that love is still there. So that's why Ramakrishna is saying that when we realize that, that we are near the machine, that is the Lord who is working through us. When we become of the divine behind our existence, then the question of devotion comes. It is, oh Lord, it is you who are working through me. You are the operator. I'm just the machine. So that's, the, that's why I am a mere machine. That leads to the obliteration of the ego with the obliteration of the ego. Then what happens? The asmita. That starts uh, attenuating. And when that gets attenuated, it gradually leads us to that state of non-locality, that unselfishness, which alone is the divine. The more we can relate our amnes, which is mm, the collective amnes, which is not just the amnes of this my psychophysical existence, the more I am relating to the divine. That's the real sense of the, the, the real definition of God, of divinity. So with these ideas in the background, let us again read this line. Bhakti is the one essential thing to be sure. God exists in all beings. Who then is a devotee? He whose mind dwells on God. When your mind dwells on God, then only you can become the instrument that it is God who is working through me. But this is not possible as long as one has egotism. Then the God has vanished. It is I who am working. So just see how these words are related. The water of God's grace cannot collect on the high mound of egotism. Because God's grace is always flowing, but it cannot collect the high when the egotism is there. In some other place, He's giving an, a different, another example that God's grace is always blowing, but it gets 
what you say that it gets obstructed by the wall of ego, that God's grace cannot touch our soul because the wall of ego is there. So here, the same idea, he's giving a different example. The water of God's grace cannot collect on the high mound of egotism. It runs down. I am a mere machine. So that's the idea. That I am just the machine. I'm just the flute in the hand of Krishna. That story we related so many times. And that once Radha asked Krishna that your flute is so fortunate. It is always with you. You have tucked in, uh, uh, in uh, along with your cloth. It always stays. Either you're playing or it is tucked in the belt. It is always there. The girdle which you have, the cloth girdle which you have around your waist, in that it is tucked or you're playing. It is always with you. And for us, we are so unfortunate. Only for few moments, we can be in, we can be united with you. Most of the time it is viraha, separation. And then Krishna showed the flute to Radha and asked, what is there inside? It's just a hollow. Isn't it? Radha says, yes, it's hollow. Well, when you can become like the flute, then, then you can be in eternal companionship with me. Like the flute. <coughs> then God can play music through our life. What's the idea? The ego has to vanish. Just like the hollow flute. Or means our being is filled with that ego that has to vanish. It has to become as hollow as the flute. Then only God can play music through our life. And that's the idea which Sri Ramakrishna is indicating here. That we are just the mere mission. That the ego be totally cleansed off. And then the God's presence is always palpably felt in our life. So together and other devotees, God can be realized through all paths. All religions are true. The important thing is to reach the roof. You can reach it by stone stairs or by wooden stairs or by bamboo steps or by a rope. You can also climb up by a bamboo pole. So as many ways, so many paths. That's the Ramakrishna's famous uh, the dictum which comes again and again in the gospel. So from here again, we will take up in the next class that this God can be realized through all paths. All religions are true. The important thing is to reach the roof. You can reach it by stone stairs or by wooden stairs or by the bamboo steps or by rope. You can also climb up by a bamboo pole. So what he's indicating how Swami Vivekananda has interpreted it in his lectures. That we will take up again in the next class. With this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskar.